Welcome to Living Chassidus. Together, let's live the Chassidus we learn. Um, tonight, Baruch Hashem, we have the great schos of having a renowned and senior, incredible Kala teacher who actually one time, I don't think you remember this, but one time we met in 770 and you were telling me about being a Kala teacher and I was already in the training and you gave me that chizuk to continue. So you probably don't remember it, but I do. So, oh, beautiful. I should remember it was you, but I remember talking to somebody. So yes, it was you. Yes. I was what a great Hashem. thing you're doing. <laughs> Thank you. So if you'd like this clips okay. on your shirt, yeah. I'm going to put it right here. Okay. You should be all set. Matches. I was thinking, should I wear like a nice uh, <laughs> uh, 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 necklace, but I decided too many, you don't know what's going on in my house, Baruch Hashem, but I know when you do good things that I like to uh, help out, so that's great. So my name is um, Hanya Lane, and um, very honored to be here. I think what Miriam does is uh, beyond incredible, and I'm very proud of her, so I'm happy to come along and help. And if you don't mind, Miriam, if you want to pass around a um, paper and everybody should write down their names and their mother's yeah. names because yeah, when I go to the um I have I like to tell the Rebbe what I've done and the reason I I do that okay I'll start with this is because when I was a little girl I was um like 12 years old uh, the Rebbe had spoken about having Masiba Shabbos and um my mother came home from, from New York and she said Masiba Shabbos okay my daughters are going to start Masiba Shabbos so um, my mother's policy was that everybody came to our house so she could see what's going on, see who the friends are, you know, and um, uh, so nobody was up to par to our, to our kashras. So she, she didn't want to, she wanted to make sure we were all okay. So I had a group of girls. I think I had, I think my room was the dining room. My sister had the living room. One had a bedroom. As we used yeah. to walk around, collect the little girls and uh, do Masiba Shabbos with them. Anyway, I came um, to the Rebbe. My parents wanted us to be Hasidim. Like, and we lived in Cleveland. So every year they would take, um, depending on how much money it would cost, one or two of their children with them. So this was my turn to go with my mother. And we come to New York. We're here for some Chastoira for the uh, the last few days of Sukkot. And we go to Yechidus, because everybody out of town was going to Yechidus. And my mother says, okay, you have to know my mother. So you'll understand what I'm saying. Her name was Robinson Kazin. By the way, the book is coming out. It's I'm called, so um, it's called uh, the, the Queen of Cleveland. It's coming out in about oh, two yeah. months. It's on the way, because the Rebbe called her the Queen of Cleveland. My father passed by for dollars. And the Rebbe said, is your wife here? And uh, my, my, um, my, my father said, no, she's in Cleveland. So the Rebbe said, here is a dollar for the Queen of Cleveland. So we're calling her the Queen of Cleveland. Yes, yes. Because my children said, why the Queen of Cleveland? She's been to Russia. She wasn't here. She was there in Paris. I said, that's the name the Rebbe gave her. So that's the name we're going to call her. It's a shame. It's a great book. So um, anyway, so my mother said to me, okay, when the Rebbe talks to you, you answer. And then when he finishes, I'm going to go like this, you know, like this, like this, and you leave. I'm like, okay. So the Rebbe asked me a few questions about what I was learning and 
I answered, and I'm like, thank God, Baruch Hashem, I listened to my teacher, to my mora, we used to call the mora, okay, oh boy, it's great, so I go out, and I'm like, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, you know, I did well, and about 20 minutes later, my mother walks out, she had all these private things to talk to the Rebbe, and uh, she goes, the Rebbe wants to see you, I'm like, ma, I was just there, I just spoke to the Rebbe, the Rebbe wants to see you, go right now, so there I am, 12 years old, I was a little bit shy, believe it or not, I was, and I walked in, and thank God the Rebbe's head was like he was looking on the table. And then as I came closer, you know, I've been to the, to the Yechidus room. So right before the desk, you kind of stopped. So when I stopped, the Rebbe looked up and he said, your mother tells me that you have a Mesiva Shabbos group. So tell me about it. So I'm like, huh, it's nothing. <laughs> what do you want a 12-year-old to say? I said, well, we just, um, all the kids go to public school. Never, they were all Holocaust survivors. They sent all the kids to public schools. It was really sad. So um, we go to we go to their houses. We pick them up. They bring them to our house. We say a bracha, mitzvah, masias. Let's do a mitzvah right away. We say a bracha. We tell them a story from the only thing that, came with the, that was in those days, talks and tales. Mm -hmm. We tell them a story from the talks and tales. We sing songs. We dance. We say bracha chrona, and we bring them back home. And all of a sudden, the Rebbe's face lit up. I could just see it now. And he lit up. And he made this little girl like 10 feet tall. And he said, wow, like what I was doing was so great. I don't remember the wording. I was just, oh my, it was like a nothing. And all of a sudden, it's such a big deal. And the Rebbe gave so many brachas. And it was just incredible. And then the Rebbe stopped. And he looked at me and he said, in the future, I shouldn't have to ask you what to do. You should tell me. So Bechayim of the Rebbe, I could tell him, but now I write to the Oihel. When I go there, I'll say, you know, I've spoken to this in this group and Ebesha uh, should give you bracha. So that's why whenever I go, if any of the girls there want to add their names, uh, anybody listening, want to add your name and your mother's name, put it on the uh, um, chat and we'll be happy to do that. So it's a shame. I always write Mazolo, Mazolo, Gavoya, I forgot everybody right. I write something good. <laughs> Great. And I listen to the Rebbe. Yes. Okay. So I was asked to speak a little bit about the wedding of the Rebbe and the Rebbetson. Uh, you've read a lot of things. I'm looking at the history of Yudalit Kislev, what's written here, but I have a little bit uh, that I'm going to say before it. Uh, it's important to say B'Shem Omra, Elam. So I want to tell you that I get all my material from Chabad.org, Baruch Hashem. My brother Y.Y. Kaysen, who's yours, said was yesterday. Um, is the one that started Chabad.org and it's a schus for him. So um, I listened to many people, but this time it was um, Rebbe Partiel who gave a beautiful talk on uh, Yudalit Kislev, which is tonight, tomorrow. So um, really when I tell this story, I've married off Baruch Hashem eight children. So I know what it's like to go and to walk your children to the chuppah. And every time I think of the Rebbe's parents who were not given that privilege because of the Yamach Shmoinikis, who torture them not to allow them to do it, it just breaks my heart. But the good thing about it is that we had such a, a Halika Rebbe, such a wonderful Rebbe, and, and they did so much for us that without them, ladies, you think you wouldn't be here? We wouldn't be here. We would not be here. Really, the Rebbe kept all of us uh, a cut above, like not only from and not only chsiddish, but proud. Geya Yisrael, we should be proud to be 
Yidden and Lubavitchers and continuing his work and he made everything so exciting. Every time he, whatever came out with a new mitzvah, he said, like, there's 630 mitzvahs. What do you mean I'm giving a new one? It's when something is new, it's so exciting. He kept all of our lives constantly very exciting. So, um, so we'll go back to the wedding. Um, at the 25th wedding anniversary in 1953, the Rebbe said, this is the day that brought me to public service. Heint is the talk, was hat mir verbunden, ich zu mir, eich zu mir und mir zu eich. Connected you to me and me to you. And um, you know that the Rebbe was a direct descendant of Baruch Shalom, the first son of the Alter Rebbe. And the Alter Rebbe asked Baruch Shalom not to become Rebbe, to allow his grandson, the Tamach Tzedek, to become Rebbe. And he said to him, Don't worry, the fourth, fourth generation, they will become Rebbes. So who was the fourth generation? It was Rebbe Leibig, the, the our Rebbe's father. However, Rebbe Leibig, he actually said, I am the fourth generation and it's going to come through my family. So um, we know already that the Alter Rebbe was preparing our Rebbe to lead us to Mashiach. Um, the, the, uh, the Rebbe Levick said that, the, I'm sorry, the um, Rebbe Rayat said that a chosen kibno, there's a saying someplace that a chosen, a son-in-law is like a son. So he said, my son-in-law, the Rebbe, I treat him just like my own son. You know how much the Friedrich Rebbe adored our Rebbe, how much she respected him and how much she put him in charge of so many things. And he valued the Rebbe's opinion all the time. Um, in, 19, uh, in 1988, Rebbe Pekarsky said that when... Um, when the Rebbe passed away, he kind of hinted that our Rebbe should become Rebbe. And he said, uh, the, and uh, the Rebbe Rashab actually said, Kinder. The Rebbe Rashab uh, knew that his, uh, his son had three daughters, and he said, the Mittele. We have to think about Rebbe Levick's children, but he didn't say which one. However, uh, we know that the Rebbetson was a year older than the Rebbe. And um, the Rebbe had never seen the Rebbe Rashab, even though he was 18 years old when the, when the Rebbe Rashab passed away. And the Rebbe said, it's good that the Ebersh didn't let me see him because then I would be a chassid of two Rebbes and that would be very difficult. This way I became a chassid of my father-in-law. Um, at age 13, Reb Levick said about his son that there is a Goon Oilam. He was already a genius. Um, the Rebbe came to Rostov in 1922, in the winter of 1922, which is like January, February. And um, at that time, he heard the Rebbe Rayats say the Maimer Bossi Lagani. And um, people say that he also came there for a Shidduch. Then he came back six months later in the summer to meet the Rebbetson for the first time, like an official um, meeting. 
the Rebbe was 20, 21, and the, the Rebbe was 21, and the Rebbe was 22 years old. Um, there are many, many responses from the Friedrich Rebbe that he spoke about our Rebbe. And he spoke about how important it is for his daughter to make sure to be married to this Rebbe. And the Friedrich Rebbe wrote to his daughter, or he said it or he wrote, one of the two, that um, I have now spent the last few weeks studying the Torah of Mendel, of our Rebbe. Mr. Friedrich Rebbe, you know, they, the Rebbe was writing Chidushim. I know my son went to Yeshiva and I'm like, what are you writing? He says Chidushim. I said, you're writing Chidushim, Torah. Come on, Ari, who, who do you think you are? He says, no, no, the Rebbe said we should write Chidushim. So apparently the Rebbe did that on his own. You know, he told us what to do when he did it also. And the Friedrich Rebbe was studying his Torah. The Rebbe and the Rebetzin, really sad, were engaged for six years. Some say because there was no money. Some say because uh, the, the Rebbe Rayatz was waiting for um, the government, the Russian Yamach Shmanik has to give permission to his parents to come to the wedding. But whatever reason it is, it turned out to be because of the times in those days, which were very unstable, that they were engaged for a long time. When, when they finally did get married, um, it was in um, Warsaw and the Rebbe, um, um, the Rebbe's, uh, the, the, our Rebbe's father, the Rebbe Levit asked his wife, Rebbe Tzachana, that she should go and finish off the Shidduch. And she stayed in the house of the Rebbe and the Rebetzin, that's the Hamadina, Rebbe Zahamadina and the Rebbe, uh, the Rayats. Um, they stayed for like a few weeks and she watched Rebbe Zahayim Mushka. And at the end, she gave her approval and she went over to the, uh, the Rayats and she said to him, um, my husband gave me permission to be his shliach and I approve of it, but I need to speak to you privately. And she went to another room and she said, on condition that my son becomes the next Rebbe. Um, Baruch Hashem. <laughs> Lucky us. <laughs> um, and they, and she, and the, the Rebbe Rayat said, I approve. And she said, I want it in writing. And the Rebbe Rayat said, I cannot give you in writing. And the Rebbe Zalman um, Duchma said that the Rebbe said, Ba'uns, avort is avort. Just a word is accepted as a word. We keep our word. And some other people say that the Rebbe said, you don't have to worry. The Hasidim will figure it out themselves. It wasn't a big deal. It was very easy to figure it out. Um, okay. Ooh. Um, now, okay, just want to make sure. Okay, if not the Rebbe. Okay, so Reb Zalman Duchman also said, if not for our Rebbe, we would not have Yud Beis Tamas Fabringen, because behind the scene, our Rebbe worked very hard on releasing the, his father-in-law. And when he said this at a Fabringen, the Rebbe said, it's not the right time to talk about it. So there are a lot of documents, which I don't have in front of me, and he didn't mention them, 
that tells you exactly what the Rebbe did in order to save the, um, the Friedrich Rebbe. Um, okay. Share that. If anybody doesn't yet know about Rosalman Dukman, in this month's Kosuja Day Hair, there's a whole section about him. So very important Hasid, and they have a lot, a lot to say about him. Yes, yeah, he was really. Listen, the Chassidim of Yer, come on, those are the Chassidim. They were something else. Even though Hashem benched me with some grandsons who are marrying my granddaughters who are such Chassidim, like the Alter Chassidim, I'm like, thank you, Eberster. <laughs> yeah. Zachisi, Zachisi, Zachisi. Okay. Um, when they were supposed, supposed to uh, leave Russia, um, the government only gave him uh, asked him who he wants to take along. And of course, he said his wife and his three daughters and his married son-in-law and um, his future son-in-law. And they said, you'll always find another one. She, he said, <laughs> such a son-in-law you'll never find. And it turns out that he did leave, but not together with the group. For some reason, you know, the communists always have to make trouble. But if Hashem wants it, it works out. It says that Rebbe Tzachana, um, she escorted the Rebbe to leave Russia and they were on a, on a train and it, uh, they had to travel a whole night and the sun started to shine. The Rebbe put on his talus and his tefillin, there was not a talus yet, just his tefillin. And she, the Rebbe Tzachana writes that she was petrified. This was, she, was, she saw the end. Tefillin, are you kidding? <laughs> They, they put you in prison 10 years in Siberia for wearing a yarmulke under your hat and tzitzis. I mean, that was, so um, a bunch of goyim stood up and they surrounded the Rebbe until they finished the davening completely. Really? She's, this was on the train going to meet the, the Rebbe Rayats. And this was a huge, huge miracle. Okay, the Rebbe left in 1927 to Finland. Why not I tell you? 1927 was a very, very, very difficult. Oh, no, that was 1937. Okay. He left to Finland and then to, uh, I think, to Belgium. And um, the wedding was so they were finally able to do it. And Reb Leibich writes many, many letters about the fact that he. he had to have his son's wedding alone, alone together with his wife and some Hasidim. He writes very beautifully um, how he danced and how they sang and, how they and um, he wrote a telegram to the Rebbe and in the telegram he asked him, he said he has a yarmulke and a gartel from one of the Rabbeim that he wanted to gift him for the wedding but but of course it's sad that he's not going to be able to do it however he wants to ask him that he should wear a surtuk and he should also start wearing a gartel not only for davening shacharis but even when he says birchas shachar the beginning the brachas in the morning and uh, the rabbitson said that uh, also, you told him he should learn Perak Chafei and Tanya, but not Be'iyun. You're getting married? Just read it. It's a. And then when he finished writing the telegram, it was saturated with tears. Rabbi Sahana said, "Just it's very heartbreaking when I read about this that the father couldn't be there." Anyway, um, then the the Reb Levick asked, "Please write me everything about your wedding, and in detail, you know." And also write what the Rebbe Rayats 
said about you, how he introduced you and what he spoke to people about you. And the Rebbe wanting to listen to his father. So he said, um, he said, as, as biti, I gave my daughter to the man. You know, Moshe Rabbeinu was called an ish. David was called an ish. So Reb Levi writes, what is the v'chulu v'chulu? <laughs> right, tell me everything, etc., etc. What do you mean he gave you? He's speaking about you. I want to hear every single word that he said about you. Yeah, some Rebbe, huh? I don't know if this is not givorin givorin. There was one born like a rebbe, will ever be born like a rebbe. <laughs> the kind of a rebbe we have. Um, okay. The rebbe Tzachana sent asked the rebbe to buy his wife, Rebbe Tzachai Mushka, the most beautiful, expensive gift, and to tell her that by uns you are like a getraya tochter. A lovable, delightful, beautiful daughter, and not a daughter-in-law. And I treat you like a daughter. Um, okay. Also, the Friedrich Rebbe, um, the the Rabbeim would only wear a strimal or a spodet, whatever they were those days, in Lubavitch. When the Rebbe Rashab left Lubavitch to go to Rastov, he left. Strimal in Lubavitch. He never wore it again. That's why we have pictures of the Rebbe with a hat. And um, the our Reb, the Rayats, he put on the Strimal to his daughter's wedding. To Rebbe Mushka's wedding, you put on the Strimal. And um, by that time, his father already had passed away. And um, he came to him in a dream and he said to him, Yasha Koyach, thank you. For putting on the strimal. Was it his uh, That's a very good question. He didn't say it, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't think it was a strimal, it was like a spudet, because strimals are around and his was a little bit high. Um, I actually like them, they're very beautiful, but um, our rabbit didn't wear them. So, guys, you know, you're saving $15,000. Yeah. You just be happy. You know, they have to wait for shaitles, you know? Um, the Rebbe's library upstairs. I think they have they that. have the strimal. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, the little a little uh, lush and toves because when the Rebbe became Rebbe, Nachamadina didn't give him the strimal. So the Rebbe said, "If I cannot have my father-in-law strimal, then I won't wear it." And I, I heard a very cute story that um, this uh, Satmar came over to the Rebbe, and he says, "Labavitcher Rebbe." You're such a personality. You're such a great man. You're such a tzaddik. You're such a guddle. If you just put on that strimal, you will have thousands and thousands and thousands of Belzers and Geras and, and Satmars and all these different Hasidim, the Rebbe said. Will I have the Israeli from the Kibbutznik if I put on a strimal? I want him. You go to your Rebbe's. Yeah. You go to your Rebbe's. He said, I am aiming for that person. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, the uh, um, Rabbi Chaim Oldhouse, who was a very, very smart man and the son of, uh, uh, of Nikolai Rav, uh, he became the Rabbi Shimer. And um, this you have to read on your own, but he wrote incredible things how the Rabbi conducted himself as a chassan. Incredible. It turns out when um, 
uh, at the Hasana, there were a lot, a lot of Gdolim. Uh, this is before the war. So Poland had so many Rebbes and Rebbelach and, and Litvisha and everybody loved the Rebbe Rashab. They used to go together, you know, in Russia to fight the government and all this thing. So the place was packed and they had like that. You had to have a ticket to walk in. Otherwise, there was just no room. And not everybody came to everything. Some came to the Kabbalah's Splenim, some came to the meal, some came to the dancing, some didn't. Anyway, so um, some, how they get tickets? They were invited, literally invitations. They were invited. Only, <laughs> yeah. And, um, and um, uh, the, the people who were invited, a, a lot of the Frida Karebe, one of them, his name was, I'll think of his name soon if I can't find it, was a very big, um, like a godel by the world. I'm trying to remember his name. So uh, the Friedrich Rebbe put the chassan, he, he put him right next to the chassan. I have to, I have to find his name. And um, he, he, the Rebbe was sitting there and um, this godel, Need to find his name. Let me see where I wrote it. I should have underlined it. He says to the Friedrich Rebbe, your son-in-law, Eretnisht. He doesn't open his mouth. He doesn't say anything. So the Friedrich Rebbe turned around to his, to our Rebbe and he said, Red. So he was Mepaltel, Mepaltel, like they spoke in Torah for about an hour. And he walked out and he said, to the Friedrich Rebbe, you took a son-in-law, a guy in Oilam. The Rebbe talked for an hour? Our Rebbe spoke, you know, while he was sitting, the Kabbalah's Panim, he made sure that he sat next to him. So he said to him, you took a guy in Oilam. Uh, let me see. Oh, his name was Reb Chaim Oizer. Okay, anyway, so then the... Um, um, the people actually, the uh, Friedrich Rebbe actually told him that he shouldn't speak to all the G'daylim because right now your job is to focus on the wedding for yourself and your kala. However, for this one, he wanted him to show, at least one person should know, that Edim is a goin oilam. Oh, he said, Lababeche Rebbe, your hot genumen and Edim a goin oilam. He took an Edim who is a huge, huge goin. All right? So I think that's about it for the Rebbe. Um, oh, one more, one more very nice story. So uh, the Rebbe married the Rebbetson and um, Baruch Hashem, uh, we all were very, very lucky because we got the best part of it all. Um, but they were in Paris for a while. And they say one of the reasons that I had to go to the Sorbonne in Paris is because you had to have certain papers to remain in a city a certain amount of time. And the Rebbe the Rebbetson didn't have it. So if you go to study, if you become a student, then you could re remain there. So of course, the many stories about the Rebbe in the Sarban, um, Rev Hutner went with him and another uh, from, from, I forgot the other name, rabbis. And anyway, and they would say that the Rebbe would sit with the Gemara, and he would learn. Once in a while, he'd look up at the professor. And one of the tests that, that he gave, um, the Rebbe finished like within a half an hour and brought it over to the desk. And the professor took it and he threw it in the garbage. 
And he said, you're, you're making fun of me. There's nobody who could finish it so fast. He says, well, at least read it. He says, absolutely not. This is like a chutzpah that you have. So the Rebbe went to the dean. He said to him, just tell him to read it, you know. So the dean came in and he took out the papers and he read it and he said, I've never, ever had such a student. He got, of course, an A+. Plus. So um, another thing I heard from somebody is that, you know, the Rebbe would work here in New York. He worked at the, um, the, doc, the Navy, you know, the, what's the word before the Navy? Whatever. He, he worked, they don't know, but he worked on submarines, you know, like a ship, Navy shipyard. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Me, I write everything down or else the battery sometimes gets stale. So uh, it's called a senior moment. Anyway, so uh, they said there was a Brooklyn Navy Yard. Thank you. Thank you, girls. Very good. So they say that he worked on a lot of secret things that um, nobody's allowed to know because it was like really very secretive. And when he would travel in the subway, the Rebbe would put on gloves. So as not to touch anyone, any woman. Uh, also, another story I'm going to tell you about a rebbe and a rebbetson. Um, Wait, why did the rebbe work? Why did he work? Here, I guess, Pardosa. Uh, you, you do have to support your wife. He wasn't the rebbe yet. The Friedrich Rebbe was the rebbe. And also, so, at the time, moms didn't have that much money. Like, even had no money. Exactly. Had no money at all. Zero. The Friedrich Rebbe literally had no money. I mean, they would collect like pennies, dimes. Who had money? Even when we came in 1953, the Rebbe was here since 1940. That's 13 years. Was, people were so poor. I remember uh, Rabbi Lipsker had a store, a grocery store, a consoparetist today. Mm. When he was Nifter, he said that the book of money that people owe him should be buried with him. It should be a schus for him a He would give food for free. I mean, I mean, he also had to leave. He had a big family. But it was, it's, we were all immigrants. When nobody, uh, <clears throat> I heard that the Rebbe, the, one of the, I think it was the Belzer Rebbe, came to the Rebbe and the Rebbe said, um, I think we should daven that our chassidim should be rich. He said, oh, no Rebbe, no Rebbe. Too much of an Isayan to be rich, you know? So the Rebbe said, there's an assignment to be poor, there's an assignment to be rich, better than rich. Mm -hmm. And then you can do so many good things with money. So when I hear that some Lubavitchers made it well, I know that the Rebbe gave brachas because mm -hmm. a, a word from a Ratzadik, you know, is very powerful. The Rebbe wanted Lubavitchers to be rich so that we can do so much money with, the, with, with, uh, with uh, uh, so much good with the money. It, I also read that... Um, Rabbi Schechter, the head of the conservative movement, um, once came and teach to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe said, listen, you guys have a lot of money, and we have the educational rabbis and, and teachers. Why don't you, why don't we make a pact? Why don't we share? You help us out with the finances, and we'll provide you with the teachers. He said, I'll think about it. And they say before he passed away, he said the biggest mistake in his life is that he didn't take on the Rebbe. Because in the conservative movement, I don't know if you know it now, but it's really dying. So either they're becoming from or they're becoming Goyim. So he said that was his biggest mistake because in those days, the conservative was like... So the Rebbe always, he had his, he was way ahead of everybody. 
that you came from. I, I, I'm going to tell Yes. Many, many, many years later. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's in fact, when I was offered a job, when I came here from Cleveland, I lived in Cleveland for many years. I came from Cleveland and I was a little bit nervous because I was offered a job in a conservative shul, not in the shul, because you're not allowed to go to the shul, but in the school, which is a completely different building. And I wrote to the Rebbe and I wrote, I was being offered so much to this as a payment and what I didn't know what to do, you know. I know we're Lubavitch, but it's still a halacha question. So the Rebbe said that I should teach there if they raise my salary. Wow. In one second, they raised it $1,000. It was like so much money in those days. That's one thing. And then, and then I found out, this is unbelievable. Um, the chazan in the shul, in the conservative shul, used to be a friend of the Rebbe's. Wow. His name was Mr. Nelson. Why I remember, I don't know. This is 1965, girls, so many years ago. And when he found out I was Lubavitch, he became very friendly, introduced me to his wife. I actually came to his home and he told me that I said, You were a friend of the Rebbe's? Have you seen him since? He said, No, I'm too embarrassed because I'm working in a conservative temple. I said, Come on, you know, the Rebbe accepts everybody. He said, I can't, I'm too embarrassed. So um, he said, when I will leave this temple and I will have another job, I will come to the Rebbe, which eventually did come. Wow. Hashem left. Anyway, so then I realized why well, the Rebbe wanted me to be there. I guess he wanted us to befriend this family, which we did. You know, he already passed away, but he told me a lot of stories. He used to drive the Rebbets and the Chayimushka, the Rebbets and the Hamadina and Chana. He used to drive them and take them. They loved to go to the water. They used to like sit and read by the water. So a lot of very interesting things. So tell me things that nobody knows. <laughs> yeah, like to, not to the beach, but like to a pond of water, like botanical gardens, you know? But they didn't go here. They used to go to a place in Queens, he said, away from everybody. Nobody should recognize them. Yes. Isn't that nice? Yeah. So the Rebbe had his hand in everything. <laughs> okay. And um, since you're um, girl, young girls, who Mr. Shem, Karav Mamish will find the right Shaduchim. And those who are married, Mr. Shemish, I will venture with healthy, beautiful children. So I thought we'll share a little bit about, since it's wedding day, right? So we'll share a little bit about that. Of course, you could share a lot too. And um, what can I tell you? The best thing you did is be born to a Jewish family. Or if you, I don't know you girls really. So if you became Jewish, that's fine because you're Neshama straight from Abraham and Sarah. So that's fine too. But because when you look at the world today, it's so topsy-turvy, it's warped. It's so upside down. Like sometimes I hear what's going on and I said to my husband, listen, Dobby, if we didn't grow up from, and if we didn't have the Torah to guide us, we would be those people too. Because the world out there is so crazy that people actually, it's, it's like the choyshech is so dark that you actually believe that it's snowing now. <laughs> like now it's snowing when of course it isn't. So um, that's the first thing is Baruch Hashem that you were born Jewish, that you're born from, that you became from, and that you're Lubavitch. This is the biggest bracha, Shreinu Matot Chokeinu. We had a young girl who came to our house many years ago. And the first time she ever heard that you have to get married first, you know, before you have children was in my house. She said that she's like an outcast in college. Everybody looks at her like there's something wrong with her because 
she doesn't want to do anything so she gets married she thought after a while she just started to think that something wrong with you i said no no actually something wrong with them there's nothing wrong with you you're fine you're fine first time she ever heard of this we're so fortunate i know we had people at our shabbos table and my daughter then was like i don't know she's about 16 years old and some of the people looked around the room and where there were boys girl, you know yeah those days i still had boys at my table <laughs> And um, not from, and they looked at my girls and they said, oh, you guys would have so much fun if you just went to public school. And I remember my 16-year-old daughter looked at them and said, you don't know what it's like to have fun with girls, girls with girls. You don't know what they're missing. So it's like when you grow up and we have, we have the Rebbe and, and you have Torah and you have so excitement and you have so much on your plate, like some of you don't have enough hours in the day to finish everything you have to do. It gives you a new perspective in life. It's so, one girl once said to me, um, I used to have girls, now I have Rakhash in my family, but I used to have girls that stayed in my basement. And one of them said to me, Mrs. Lane, can I come watch what you do in the kitchen? I'm like, of course. She says, because I learned about kashrus, but it's a book learning. I really would like to see, you know, it's like a doctor learning from a book and then doing, you know. So she came up, so she's like following me around. I'm like, my kitchen is this big, you know, <laughs> two people, so you have to walk sideways. Anyway, so, um, said to me, you don't know how hard it is to finally become full. You don't know, you don't know how lucky your children are that they grew up like this. It's such a struggle to have finally found Yiddishkeit. So I'm like, we're so lucky, you know, especially our kids are going to be so lucky. They finally found it. But make sure that they know it, that they shouldn't think the grass is greener on the other side. That's for another talk. I'll talk about raising children. That's my other talk. But um, <clears throat> right now, we have to feel this. You can't just say it you have to feel what you say we are we are so fortunate can you imagine sending it to public school telling a five-year-old but you're not a boy you're a girl you want to be a girl cut off this cut off that get hormones of this i should i mean same people don't you don't have to be from to know that this is absurd that this is crazy or to tell somebody okay we approve drugs anybody can have any drugs you want i mean you know what drugs do to you it makes you crazy it makes you, you can't think straight I mean, everything, it's push it. You can tell that the world is upside down. You can tell that you need Torah to guide you. I once told a group of girls, I said, well, we'd like, some, we'd like freedom. I said, I'll give you a lot of freedom. You should live in the forest. It'll rain on you. You have no, no boundaries, no boundaries. It'll rain, it'll snow. Um, maybe it'll come a lion or a tiger or even a, or even a, a wild dog. You know, take a bite of you or two. What's the matter with you? You need a house, you need boundaries, you need sides, you know, you need boundaries. Without that, how could your person survive? Baruch Hashem, that you have a Torah that guides you. And you have so much freedom within the guidance. Like if somebody tell you you have to wear a black dress, the Torah says just bitzniyas. The rest is up to you. Does anybody tell you what you have to eat for breakfast, lunch, or supper? Just make it kosher, make it delicious gives you a day off. Do you know that everything the Torah says, the world finally decides the right thing to do? Who has a day off? The Yidna had a day off. Guess what? The whole world decided you need a day off. I remember when I was, um, when they had the scare, the Tylenol scare, remember that somebody put poison in the Tylenol. So now every, every medication has a double covering like first it's locked and has a plastic over it and a big tamper with it. They tell you don't use it. You know, in Yiddishkeit, you have to have a double covering before you know something is kosher. You go on the plane, you know, everything is double covered. 
everything the Torah says, they're going to find and they're going to say that meat and milk together is harmful. It's going to affect you negatively. It can, who knows what, <laughs> destroy your kidneys. I don't know what. There's they're going to come up with it soon. Don't worry. Yeah, there's already studies. I'm telling you. Like one's iron and one's calcium, and they shouldn't, when they're eaten together, they counterbalance each other. There you are. Tell you. So. The Torah never changes. It doesn't change. There's no such a thing. Everything eventually they'll find that the Torah is right. And we are so, so, so lucky. We are so fortunate that we were given the privilege to learn and to guide others. Okay. And now I have like two, two more minutes. So I'm going to share a story with you, a, a Rebbe story. Okay, I have so many. Which one should I share? Hashem, Yishmar. Okay, let's see which one. Bye. Excuse me? <laughs> <Do all of them. laughs> Eight to nine. I'm very unscheduled. Okay, so um, I'll share a story from my parents, okay? You have to get the book. I think this is in the book. I hope it's in the book because um, I finally gave it to Zach Lakovsky to finish the book. And he didn't let me read it before he printed it because he said, every time I read it, I correct him. He has to start all over again. So he said, even if there are mistakes, you're getting the book. I said, you know, you're right. I don't want to see it anymore. So I hope I put the story in because it's a great story. Wait, so the book is printed? Yes. Yeah, we had a problem because it was supposed to be printed in China. And because my grandfather, my mother's father was killed because he was a moyel. So the Chinese government said that the books rights against communism, so they can't print it. So they held it off. Well, what should I say? Who killed him? The, 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 the Swedes? He was killed because he was a moyo by, by the communists. So um, they held up the book for a few months. So finally, um, we got it printed in some other place. forgot the name of it. And it's on a boat being shipped to the United States. So it's oh, coming wow. here. Okay, so um, so my parents. Um, waiting for this. Yes, they're like. What is it called? The Queen of Cleveland. I love it. That's so cute. Yes. I'm from Cleveland. My name is Mr. Cohen Natasha, and her Cohen are my parents. You're kidding! Oh, so you know? Okay, you know my mother and father, right? Yeah. They were really incredible. Yes, thank you, thank you. I'm gonna tell you. Oh, it's a sham. Uh, I work in Cleveland and I oh, so you met my parents. Okay, my mother. How long have you been Uh, three years now. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna tell this story. You'll appreciate that. Okay. So my um, uh, my parents um went to teach this to the rabbi. It was a whole story. It's in the book. And they ended up in Cleveland. In Cleveland, my the rabbi says to my father, "What are you gonna do in Cleveland?" He said, well, my mother was a business lady. My grandfather was a businessman. I'm going to start business. I'll sell watches. I'll buy. I'll sell. The Rebbe says, you should be a chazan, a shoichet, or a rub. Okay. There goes the business side of him. <laughs> and he learned shechita. Rabbi Silver from Cincinnati gave him a very beautiful report. And uh, he was asked to become a has in a certain shul called the Tzamech Tzedek Shul. And they liked him so much, they asked him to become the rub. So he's already a shoichet, a chaz. Okay, fine. Anyway, my, my father goes in, the shul, kosher, 100%, a nice mechitza, everything's good. Comes back a month later, no mechitza. The, the president of the shul decided that he doesn't want a mechitza 
Nebuch, Nebuch, their father's name was Menachem Mendel, was a very firm guy. All his eight sons, he sent to public school, they all doctors, lawyers, but they didn't know Nebuch, this in the, in, in the 1800s. So they were all fried. And uh, they, they decided they wanted to make it somehow. Father walks into shul, he's like, I'm sorry, I can't daven here. They said, why not? This is America. I can't. So he left the show. The mother comes to the Rebbe. The Rebbe says to her, so uh, your husband is the Rebbe of the show? Oh, she says, no, not anymore. Why? Because, because they took off the mechitza. Took off the mechitza? So tell them to put on um, another mechitza. They don't want. Okay, tell them to put on, he said, not a regular big Lubavitch mechitza. Put on a young Gizro mechitza. The mother said, we tried everything. They're not interested. He says, but show them pictures. It's not such a big mechitza. It's kosher, bidiyabit. It's kosher, you know. The mother says, nothing doing. He's not interested. They're totally not from. They're not interested in anything. We tried everything. So in Yechidus, all of a sudden, the rabbi goes into Dvekas. Like he's, this is the seat. My mother's standing. And the rabbi puts his head down like this. And my mother's like, should I call Rabbi Groner? Should I call Rabbi? She says, no, no, he's a Rabbi. He's a Rabbi. He knows what he's doing. Okay? She's just standing there. Rabbi puts his head down, looks up. He says, no. If they will not put up the mechitza, his father, when the andavel from up in heaven, will take care of it. Oh, wow. Okay. They go home. My mother tells my father what happened. Father says, okay. He goes to shul. There's no mechitza. That's it. Anyway, like a month later, he gets a knock on the door. The president of the shul comes running in, not Madorsky, but another guy. He comes running in and he says, Rabbi, Rabbi, please, please come. We, we want you to become the chazan and we want you to be the rabbi again. He says, you know, without a mechitza, I can't. He says, show us what kind of mechitza you want and we're making it exactly to your dimension. So he told them, they had a kosher mechitza and they had the curtains, just like now, kosher on the percent. No, Kosher Lubavitch, as you please, as you want. Okay, the Mechitz is put up. My father doesn't ask any questions. My mother has any questions. Okay, finally, the guy comes over to my father one day and he says, don't you want to know why we did it? He says, actually, I'm very curious. But he figured the rabbi's bracha, you know? He says, well, on the yard side of Menachem Mendel Madorsky, of the grandfather, his son, the one that took up the Mechitz, his oldest son, had a dream. And his father came to him in the dream. You heard the story? No. He came to him into the dream and he grabbed him by his collar oh. and he started choking him and he said, or you put up a mechitza the proper way, the way the rabbi tells you, or you're coming to visit me right now. Oh. He woke up and he was like, oh. he says, oh, this is not just a dream. This is the real thing. And the next day the mechitza was up. Wow. Is that a great story? <laughs> this is this is Mamish. Believe in Ruach HaKodesh. This is Ruach HaKodesh. So if anybody tells anything about the Rebbe, we had such a chiddus with the Rebbe, a hundred percent. I told you my bas mitzvah story. I, I tell you this story is unbelievable. One million percent. This is the Rebbe story. Okay, we'll do one more. Quick, 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 quick. Another one. Okay. <laughs> Um, okay, a rabbi story, a rabbi story. Okay, it doesn't have to be with us. It can be just um, just a rabbi story. 
So, um, you know, the Rebbe was very big on Eretz Yisrael. And, um, and he believed that Eretz Yisrael has to be strong. Eretz Yisrael shouldn't give anything back. That Eretz... So, um, so um, there was a guy who was um, like a, a um, katsin, um, uh, what do you call that? A, uh, not a, a general in the army. And he came to, uh, he came to the Rebbe to ask the Rebbe, you know, whatever, because everybody told me he should go to the Rebbe. And, um, and the Rebbe said to him, I have a question. Why is it that so many Jews, so many soldiers passed away in Yerushalayim? Why? I mean, didn't you have a strategy or something? He said, I really don't know. Let me find out. And he went back to Israel and he found out that they didn't want to take the Kosovo. They didn't want to take it. They knew it was going to cause problems. Of course, it doesn't have to cause their problems. The Israelis caused their own problems. But anyway, yeah. and how he said how the Rebbe bothered the Rebbe that an extra soldier was killed because the Israeli, the Friar government over there, didn't care to make a plan that they should be able to get Eretz Yisrael that the Abishta gave it to them. And, um, uh, and one of the things he said, the, the mistake that we made is not to listen to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, when in 1967, he told us to annex everything immediately. The Rebbe has said that if you don't annex it now, they said, oh, how could we do it? If we send away, if we chase them all out, the Rebbe said, who told you to chase them out? Pay them. An Arab will do anything for money. Go over and pay them for the houses, for this, for that. They said, oh, no, we can't do it. So many were going to leave. And, uh, the Rebbe said, if you don't do it now with money, it'll cost you. And the Rebbe didn't want to say with lives. He just said, it'll cost you more than money. The guy said, the thing that we made a mistake is that the Rebbe knew more about Eretz Yisrael than we knew. Because exactly what he said is true. So anyway, um, I just want to leave you with this. We are so, so, so lucky. And we are so fortunate that I can't say we have, because we still have the Rebbe. Okay, not in the physical terms. And we have to die when that he should come back. Like somebody said, uh, do you have any idea you know, who's going to be Mashiach. I'm one of those people who believes that it's up to Hashem, but I don't know anybody else. The only face I know is our Rebbe, you know what I mean? Like Hashem should bring whoever is going to be, but the Rebbe, if you look at these pictures, how gorgeous is he? Tell me. I remember the Rebbe like this. I remember the Rebbe in a black beard. Like when I see the Rebbe in a gray beard, I'm a, I was a little girl, I was six years old when we came to America. It was so great. I remember we just we just stood there. Okay, I'll, I'll conclude with one more beautiful story about the Rebbe. This is the last one, but it's really a beautiful story. We walk into the Rebbe. My mother had six daughters, and the baby boy was born in Cleveland. The three born in Russia, I was Russia, three born in Paris, and one in the United States of America. We walk into Yechidus. The joint, the Jewish distribution, gave my father $18. A week. So my father took $36 
and he put it down on the Rebbe's table and he said, it's my Megelt. My Megelt is money that you give to the Rebbe. People give. So the Rebbe looked at the six little girls like this and he looked at the money and he thanked my father. He was very gracious. He took it and he said, Russian Jews are very generous. Those are the Rebbe's words. But in America, there's a thing called saving. It's good for you to put away money and save. And I said, yeah, I was looking at the daughters and thinking of all the weddings my father would have to make, right? So my father said, the first wedding, he had money for it because they never told him to save. But Baruch Hashem, he had six daughters, right? So from one wedding to the next, he was still paying off for the weddings. <laughs> all his life was paying off for the next few weddings. But how practical was the Rebbe? You know something? Okay, girls, this was Thank a pleasure. You. Thank you so much. Okay. And may, may the chasana of the Rebbe bench all of us to be kalas, bakar of mamish, mamish, mamish. On behalf of all of us, we want to present you as a thank you with. Oh, I actually fridge. love it. Yay. I love it. Shema Bakola. Should I tell my husband? Yeah. <laughs> he always, bed. <laughs> when, when, he read, when he reads about Rachmalei, he says, Baruch Hashem, there's only one Henya. <laughs> A good one, but one. <laughs> Thank you so much. Shema Thank you all for listening to my voice. <laughs> Now I'm going to invite everyone if we want to come around. Is it okay to take a picture with you? For sure, for sure. Yes. Okay. Come. Yes, I'll take that. Do you have any other names you want to put in? Because I'm going to take it with me. Oh, yes. If you guys want to send in names, now is a good time to do so. Yeah. Okay. So,